Scripture reading this morning is from Isaiah 55, verses 1 through 9. Again, that's Isaiah chapter 55, verses 1 through 9. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk, without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me, and eat what is good, and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear, and come to me. Hear that your soul may live, and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I made him a witness to the people, a leader and commander for the peoples. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that did not know you shall run to you, because of the Lord your God and of the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his ways and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Maybe seated. I'm so very grateful for the opportunity to be with you today. It's always such a wonderful occasion in my life to come and worship and to worship with this fine congregation. Thank you for the beautiful singing and for the very fervent prayers that have been offered in our behalf, and I'm very grateful that we can be together today. And I look forward to being with you tonight at 6 o'clock, and I encourage you to be back with us then. I plan to talk about the Bible but a specific aspect about the Bible that we don't normally refer to, and that is the balance that the Bible has before us. And I was just so impressed with that. I was speaking last Sunday evening about Daniel and Joseph and the wonderful similarities that existed between their lives, and I was just impressed by the fact of how balanced the Bible really is, really tells us what we need to know and tells us in such a wonderful way And I want to study that with you this evening at 6 o'clock, and I hope you'll be with us to study again from the greatest book in all the world, and that's our Bible. And you can see from our graphic today and from this wonderful reading of Isaiah 55 that we do have a wonderful life that God has given us. And I think as I look back on different aspects of my life and different times of my life, there were great occasions in my life, and I think that you could think about that as well. I remember the time when I got married, and I, I remember I, the preacher was saying something, but I was so afraid, I don't remember what the preacher said. Uh, but I know he was saying something, and it was a big event in my life. And, and, but I tell you what, when my children came, that was really a big event in my life, and it, it was a life-changing event. Uh, you can think in terms of that as well. There have been great times in your life and significant events in your life as well. I think graduating from school, that was a big thing for me. I'm sure a big thing for you. Special time in life, graduating, whether it be high school or college or whatever school we might have worked our way through, to actually meet the requirements of the curriculum and thus be given a diploma, that was, that was an important thing in my life. 
But I tell you, the most important thing in my life, the most eventful moment in my life was when I became a child of God. That's when I became a Christian. And that's the most important thing in my life. And as I get older, it means more to me. And I really come to understand more and more how important that day became. Now, those other days were great days, but the day I became a child of God, that was a great day. And it just meant so much to me. And the older I get, the more important it does become. And I I was thinking about that. Wouldn't it be great if we could just really appreciate more the fact that we're children of God and just really grasp the concept of how important that is? Wouldn't it make our service more enjoyable? And wouldn't it make our worship and devotion more important? If we could really grasp how important that was the day that you decided, I'm going to be a Christian. And I'm going to repent of my sins like the Bible taught me to. And I'm going to confess my faith in Christ just like Jesus taught me to do it. And, and I'm going to be baptized into Christ for the remission of my sins. And when you really came to that point in that realization, I'm going to do that. If we could just grasp how important that was and grow in our appreciation of that, then surely it would make our service even more enjoyable and our devotion to Christ all that more important. That's what got me to Isaiah 55. And I ask that this passage be read today where Isaiah is inviting the people of God, to come to Him out of obedient faith. And He's emphasizing to them how important it is for them to do that. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come. Buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Come and participate in this wonderful spiritual feast. And don't think that it costs you physical, material money. Because you can't earn it. And there's nothing that you can do that makes you deserve it. Oh, you've got to exercise the initiative to embrace it and accept it. Thus the invitation to come. And he gives them a warning in verse 2. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Why are you chasing after things that really aren't that important? Listen carefully to me. When this translation translated it that way and I read that, I thought of my dad when I read that. Listen carefully to me. My heavenly Father is saying that. And eat what is good and delight yourself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you. He's referring to the promise that he'd made to David, 2 Samuel chapter 7. That's an interesting story within itself, how that God promised to make a house for David. David said, let me make a house for God. And God said, I didn't give you the command to make a house for me, but I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll build you a house, and this house that I build will stand forever. 
And now Isaiah, long after that fact, is referencing that matter. And I'll make an everlasting covenant with you according to the faithful mercies shown to David. Behold, I've made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and a commander for the people. Behold, you shall call a nation you do not know. Verse 5, he's talking about the Gentiles there. They're receiving the same invitation he's giving to God's people to come and participate in this wonderful spiritual feast to become children of God and to grow in appreciation of that. This passage is quoted by Paul in Acts chapter 13, and he references the New Testament church as it's a fulfillment. I'm in Isaiah 55, and I'm I'm thinking with you about verse 5. Behold, you will call a nation you, you do not know, and a nation which knows you do not run to, to you, because the Lord your God, even the Holy One of Israel, for He has glorified you. You know what he says next in verse 6? Seek the Lord. Seek the Lord and turn away from evil. Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near. There's that initiative. You seek and you obey. You come to Him and submit to Him out of obedient faith. Let the wicked forsake His way, verse 7. You know what that is? That's repent. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return to the Lord, and he will have compassion on him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Isn't that wonderful? That God will forgive, even though we don't deserve. God will forgive us, and we will be able to participate in that wonderful relationship with him that he wants us to have. And we begin to wonder, how could God do all that? How is it that God could make that happen? And he says in verse 8, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Verse 9, God can do this because his thinking is so far out there above and beyond mine. God can make this wonderful thing happen for me as a child of God and being a relationship with Him because of His graciousness, because of His wisdom, because of His love, which is really outdistancing mine in every regard and in every way. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could appreciate what we enjoy as children of God more? Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could understand how important these blessings are? And wouldn't that motivate us to serve Him even more than we have in the past? I remember as a young boy, a gospel preacher got up and I listened to him very carefully as I was taught to do and as I did. I remember he was talking about the faculties that God gave us. Why do we have to lose our faculties in order to appreciate them more? And he was talking about the sight that we have. Why do we have to lose our sight before we learn to appreciate that sight? Or why do we have to lose our ability to hear before we really learn to appreciate the ability to hear or to speak or to walk? And I thought, wow, that was a great point, and I've remembered it all these years. But it comes to mind for the present because why can't I appreciate the blessings I have in Christ now more? Maybe I'm a young child of God. Maybe I'm a young Christian and I have not 
been a member of the body of Christ very long. Why can't I grow to appreciate the wonderful blessing, the abundant life that I have in Christ Jesus, in this wonderful relationship more now? Why do I have to wait till I'm 60, 70, 80 years old before I really learn to appreciate what Jesus has done for me and what God has accomplished in my life in giving me spiritual life, though I didn't deserve it, and though I deserved death, but yet He looks upon me as being justified because I've been obedient to that wonderful gospel that Jesus made possible for us all. So I'm going to talk about some blessings today. But with each blessing, I want to talk about some responsibility that God has given me. And I want to do two things. I want to grow in my appreciation of the blessing, and I want to become more diligent in my duty for Christ because of it. Now, the thoughts that I had in mind certainly are not exhaustive, and the thoughts that I have in mind may not be your thoughts. The blessings that I happen to count or come to my mind might be for me, but it may not be for you, for the list is far greater than we have time to consider today. But this comes to my mind. And the first blessing with regard to the abundant life, God's my heavenly Father. Turn with me to 1 John chapter 3 and verse 1, and as you turn to that particular passage, you'll soon see that I have a wonderful heavenly Father. What a blessing that is. Now sometimes... Children grow up without a father. Sometimes children grow up and they have a mean father. But no matter whether you had a wonderful father, a mean father, or no father, you can have the heavenly father. In 1 John chapter 3 and verse 1, See how great a love the Father hath bestowed on us, in that we would be called children of God. And such we are. For this reason, the world does not know, does not know us, because it did not know Him. I think you ought to mark that verse in your Bible. The Bible passage is 1 John chapter 3 and the verse of verse 1. And it's talking about the wonderful blessing that we enjoy as children of God. I have a heavenly Father because of my obedience to the gospel of Christ. Oh, can I come to appreciate that even more and more? And what has that heavenly Father done for me? I have to tell you, I don't have the words to describe it properly. I wish I could. I wish I had the eloquence of speech and the ability of mind to express it in its fullest ability, but I just don't have it. Notice in James chapter 1, I can't begin to tell you all the wonderful things that God has done for me, but James 1 did. He helps me understand it all the more. Notice what he said in verse 17, every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variation or shifting shadow. Now, I've often explained the latter portion of verse 17. When I come to that, I'm in James 1 and verse 17. And the idea is that the sun may move and the shadow of the sun cast upon the earth may change, but God does not change. His promises are sure. And I can be assured of the promises of God and rely upon Him. But I think I should also emphasize the A part of verse 17. Do you know what he's saying there? I'm in James 1, and I'm in verse 17. 
And it's helping me to appreciate what I have in God. As a child of God, a heavenly father, he uses the word gift twice. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above. I'm the recipient of every good and perfect gift. But the point is the word gift is used twice with two different words with regard to the word gift. Every good gift speaks to the nature of the gift. It is good. But every good and perfect gift, perfect speaks to the utilization of the gift. It has a purpose. I have good gifts that God has given and they have a purpose for me. It's not just a matter of God gave me a gift, but God has given me every good and perfect gift, good in nature and perfect to be used. Only God could do that. Give me just exactly what I need, just exactly what I want, what I need. That helps me grow in my appreciation of what I have. As a Christian, I appreciate more the fact that God is my Father, that I'm a child of God, that someone came along and thought enough of me to teach me God's Word, and my heart was pricked, and faith was produced, and I, in obedient faith, turned to God. And he gives me all that I need. And it's not just a gift. It's the perfect gift. To be utilized in just the right way. Do you know what he does for me? Let me tell you something. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. How he comforts me. What a great passage that is. It's found in verse 3, verse 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's got it right. Blessed be. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our affliction so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. I know you hear me say this. I feel the need to do it. You hear me say it a lot. You ought to mark that. You ought to mark that. God's going to comfort you. Oh, how I appreciate being a Christian. The blessing of being a child of God. Because I have a heavenly father. Now, maybe you didn't have a good father growing up. Maybe you didn't have a father growing up. But you can have God as your heavenly father who loves you and gives you every good and perfect gift and who comforts you and gives you the comfort that you need, so much so that you can help other people and comfort them in times of need. And I want to add this, though I can't spend, I guess I could spend all my time just on this point, and I'm tempted to do it, but I wanted to make more of my list of blessings than just this one, but he'll never forsake me. He'll never forsake me. He's always there, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5 and 6. Make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. 
So what we confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I'll not be afraid. What shall man do to me? Do you see what comfort and consolation a passage like that can give a person? Who truly has named Christ as his Savior and been obedient to the gospel of Christ. How I can grow in my appreciation for what I have as a child of God. What a great blessing. God will never forsake me. Everybody else may do that. But God will not. I promised you two things with these matters. I want to grow in my appreciation, but I want to recognize my responsibility. And with that wonderful blessing, I have tremendous responsibility. I have a responsibility to obey God. I submit to Him. I yield to Him. Pick out any word you want. I am faithful to Him. I obey Him. Whatever word is the best word that lodges that thought in your mind, stick it in your mind and keep it there. I have a responsibility to submit to, to obey God. And I grow in that wonderful blessing and my love of it and my appreciation of it. I'm a child of God, but that brings responsibility to love and to submit. And I thought of the book of James, and I wanted to spend just a brief moment there. James chapter 4. Because it's telling me an important principle. And James is speaking to people who were Christian people, but they sort of let this matter slip through their fingers, and we can do that. We can let eternity slip through our fingers if we're not careful by our unfaithfulness. Verse 4, James 4. You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. He's speaking to Christian people there in the book of James, but he says very plainly, you're following after other things. You're loving the world more than you love God. Has anybody ever had that problem? Where we grow in love with this old world and the shallow things of this world more than growing in our love for God? I have responsibility here. I grow in my appreciation for what God has done for me. And again, I don't have the words to express it very well all that God has done for me. But I have a responsibility attached to that wonderful blessing to submit to the will of God and learn to obey Him. If I fail to do that, if I fall in the love of this old world, I become the enemy of God. And it's strong language, but notice what he says. I'm in James chapter 4, now I'm reading verse 5. Or do you think that the Scripture speaks to no purpose? He jealously desires the spirit which he hath made to dwell in us. But he gives a greater grace. Therefore it says, God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Well, you know who the proud are there. They're the, those who are guilty of this religious adultery we read in verse 4. The friend of the world. They're opposed to God, and God's opposed to that. I can't be filled with a great deal of pride and at the same time consider myself the friend of God. And so just to make sure we don't lose the point, he tells us in verse 7, Submit therefore to God. That's what I've got to do. Submit therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. That to me is an amazing fact right there. Draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. And purify your hearts, you double-minded. 
trying to walk between betwixt and the two, trying to be a friend of the world and the friend of God at the same time, and it just is not going to work. Cleanse your heart, cleanse your hands, and cleanse your mind. Purify yourself by your obedience to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Submit to the will of God. Yield to it. Don't resist it. Don't fight against it. Study the divine plan for your life and submit to it and become a faithful child of God. There's another point about this abundant life that I'd like to talk about, and I think about it. Again, I don't have the ability to express it properly, but the fact of Jesus in my life, the fact that he's my Lord and the fact that he's my high priest, is something that we need to try to get our minds wrapped around as best as we possibly can. What a blessing that is. And I picked out a couple of verses. I suppose Hebrews chapter 4 would be a good one. Hebrews talks about Christ as our high priest, and there are a lot of wonderful lessons that come to mind from that. But I, I thought of Hebrews chapter 4, and I was thinking about verse 14 there in that particular passage. Therefore, he says, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, the one who has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to him in time of need. Now, you know what he's talking about there. He's talking about the fact that we have this wonderful high priest that we may go to God through him. But how shall we do that? We will do that through prayer. He's studying and helping us with this important matter about prayer. There are a number of Bible passages along this line. He intercedes for me. He helps me. Romans chapter 8 and the various passages. But let me spend just a, a brief amount of time not only discussing the matter that Jesus is my high priest, but I want to talk a little bit not only about prayer and the significance of about prayer, how we ought to be praying people. But I want to talk about the fact that I have the Holy Spirit of God. And when I say that, I say it in the same sense and in the same way that Paul meant it. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 16. And Paul gave me that passage to read, and I believe it. Do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? Do you believe that or not? I believe that. Now, I suppose the way that you're going to interpret that depends on how you view the idea of how the Holy Spirit dwells in you. And you and I can study that on another occasion. That's not really my, my point today. But I have this wonderful blessing of God, and I'm turning to Romans chapter 8. Because in Romans chapter 8, he's trying to help me understand that. Let me explain myself a little better. No one's talking about the miraculous work of the Holy Spirit here. Paul's not talking about it here in our Bible passage, and nor in Romans chapter 8. And I'm not talking about the miraculous work of the Holy Spirit. When a Bible passage like this talks about the Holy Spirit being in us as the temple of God, either it means that he does that directly in a non-miraculous way or indirectly by means of the Word of God. And I've always regretted that there's some tension between the two viewpoints, and there shouldn't be. 
There shouldn't be any tension between the two points of view. That if a person believes that the Holy Spirit himself dwells in the child of God, should not be any matter of contention with regard to the individual who says that the Word of God dwells in me by means of the Holy Spirit. Whether we take that view or the other view is immaterial for the present point. I have it. It's a blessing. Turn with me to Romans chapter 8. Now I'm thinking of this particular passage, and I'm looking at Romans 8, verse 11 through 13. But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. So then, verse 12, Brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For you are living according to the Spirit, you must die. But if you live by the Spirit, you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. To live by the Spirit simply means to live according to the instruction of the Spirit. Ephesians chapter 3, 16, verse 17. To live by the inspired Word of God. And I have that spirit, that promised spirit, which the Bible does speak in this particular matter. Notice in Romans chapter 8, as I'm here in this passage, I'm looking at at verse 26 and 27. In the same way, the spirit also helps our weakness. And that's what I want to grow in. I want to grow in appreciation of this Bible fact the Bible is telling me. For we do not know how to pray as we should. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And you know, the thing that helped me understand that great passage is the wording of the original text, whereby it is saying, I have a heavy load to carry. And the Spirit helps me with that heavy load. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God intercedes for us but that brings upon a great responsibility for me to walk according to the spirit and to live the kind of life that God has taught me to live all of us have the continual responsibility as outlined for us in Galatians chapter 5 to exhibit the fruit of the spirit in my life And it begins that passage in about verse 16, but I say, walk by the Spirit. The instruction, the teaching, the teaching of the Spirit to lead me. How does the Spirit lead me? Through the Word of God. He's definitely doing that in this passage. And you will not carry out the desires of the flesh, for the flesh sets in desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. The law has reference to the old Mosaical law in that particular passage of Scripture. I'm to continually, as the passage continues to speak about the matter, exhibit these particular matters. Certain things I must continually get rid of with regard to my Christian life, and certain things I must continually try to excel in with regard to my Christian life. Notice how he puts it here. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, verse 20, 
disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, the things like these of which I forewarn you just as I forewarned you that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. I must continually eliminate that from my life to be pleasing in the sight of God. That's the person who will not be led by the Spirit of God, the teaching of the Word of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness. Gentleness, self-control, against such there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ, Jesus, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. For me to have the Spirit of God in me, and however way you want to see that, I'm going to have to live the right kind of life. And I'm going to have to live the faithful Christian life, a life that is led by the Spirit, the teaching of the Word of God. It's the only way I can learn it. To study the Word of God and the teaching of the Word of God, to live the life that the Spirit tells me what to live. Does the Spirit speak to me? Yes, it does. But it speaks to me through the Word of God. And it leads me and directs me just like it does you. You don't have any special direction other than what I have. And I don't have any special insider direction other than what you have. Both of us have the same leading and direction which is given by God through the Holy Spirit. I want to tell you something. I'm grateful for that. And I'll speak about that more tonight. There's another blessing that I have that I want to make mention of, and it's the blessing of a spiritual family. And when you become a child of God, I want you to come to realize what a wonderful blessing that is. Brothers and sisters in Christ. And I thought of 1 Timothy chapter 5. Well, I guess it's chapter 3. Verse 15, that's the first place that we should go. And you and I have come across this great verse before. But in case I am delayed, I write so that you will know how you ought to conduct yourself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the support of the truth. And then I wanted to look at 1 Timothy chapter 5 with the beginning in verse 1. Now, he speaks of the church as the household of God, which conveys the idea of the family of God. And then additionally, here in this verse, chapter 5, verse 1, do not sharply rebuke an older man, but rather appeal to him as a father, to the younger men as brothers, the older women as mothers, and the younger women as sisters and all purity. You see, the attitude that we should have one toward the other is couched in family-type language. That when I become a child of God and I repent of my sins and I become a Christian by being baptized into Christ, I have a spiritual family. And now I treat you and you treat me in a different perspective than what we might treat someone else who might be a stranger. Do not sharply rebuke an older man. Respect the age of the older individual. Rather appeal to him as a father. It's a family word. To the younger men as brothers. Those are family words. To older women as mothers. 
and younger women as sisters in all purity. We're part of a family. And I hope when you become a Christian, you'll come to appreciate the greatness of the family and how important it is. We're children of God together. Brothers and sisters in Christ. Family's a great word. Approaching a particular period of time in our calendar. Family means a lot. Thanksgiving's coming up. It's my favorite time of the year. But I have responsibilities as a family man. One of the spiritual responsibilities I have as a family man, I've got to attend and exhort and build up the family. Hebrews 10 and verse 25 says, Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. You see, there's a responsibility that I have. If I grow in my appreciation as a member of the family, I have responsibilities to the family. Part of that responsibility is build the family up and encourage the family. I'll tell you part of the responsibility of a family. Help out in time of need. Galatians chapter 6, 1 and 2. Bear ye one another's burdens. So fulfill the law of Christ. That's part of the law of Christ. Helping one another in times of need. It's a family matter. And I'm helping. And I stand prepared to help. What I tried to do today, as best I possibly could, is to help us become aware of some of the spiritual blessings that we have so that we can grow in our appreciation of them. And as we see them for what they are, great blessings, it motivates us to serve. And our service is not a drudgery. Our service now is enjoyable, infinitely more so, because of the wonderful blessings that I have received in Christ, which produces the abundant life. If you're not a child of God today, I urge you to become one. Why would you go up from this building and not become a Christian? When you realize all the blessings that we have in Christ Jesus, but you've never obeyed the gospel, you're outside of Christ and you don't have these blessings. These blessings are reserved for those who become children of God. Repent of your sins and be baptized into Christ and be added to the church. Experience the joy of the new birth, John chapter 3, verses 3 through 5. And the forgiveness of sins as sins are washed away, Acts 22 and verse 16. And you might say to yourself, I haven't been a faithful family member. I've been unfaithful. Repent of that today and turn that around and become a faithful child of God. Won't you come? While together we stand and while we sing.